Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, my point, though. Well, in, in did they just was... back it with something else, though? So that says it's not gold or silver. Is it? Is, is it backed by the strategic maple syrup reserves? Hey everybody, welcome to episode 112 of the More Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Once again, hello. And once again, we have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. What do we got for tonight here? What are we looking at? Mark, new Mac Pro in October. I'm just going to stop everything. Let's talk talk about this. (laughs) What's this? Yeah, just an article just came out today that there's some serious rumors that uh, there's new hardware coming out in October, most notably the new MacBook Pro with all the, the fancy stuff that we were talking about a couple of months ago, like the OLED uh, panel and, and things like that. So finally, the time the time is near. Uh, it also, it looks like the, the reason, well, at least according to this article, the reason that they so quickly came out with a beta version of, of 10.12.1 uh, is that mm. that's the version that will come installed on these new, these new machines. Hmm, interesting. 10.12? Yeah, well, 10.12 is that's, Sierra. Sierra 10, oh, we're, uh, we're at 12. Okay, sorry. I just yep. lost yeah. it there for a second. Okay. Yep. Right. Understandable. It looks weird to me, too. Oh, did I did I say iOS 10? No. No, you no, did no, not. No, 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 no. You said no. it right, Mark. Okay, okay. You're good. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. I did see that. And I noticed it says Touch ID support as well, which is kind of interesting. Thank goodness. Well, that would go along with the OLED, I think, right? Oh, perhaps, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, that's all I really care about is that there be new Macs uh, with modern, up-to-date processors. I think that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 Uh, one thing that is kind of interesting is that, uh, the, according to the article, is that they're planning to use an AMD graphics chip. Uh, called Polaris, which is, oh. I think, is kind of a new thing for Apple. They typically use NVIDIA, if I'm not mistaken. They've they've used AMD back in back in the day. I think probably for, for processors, right? But for oh, GPU, 
No, no, no. Oh, for graphics? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you mean video processors have used AMD before? Right. I don't think they've uh, ever no. used AMD CPUs. Yeah, not CPUs. He no? Has, no. Okay. No. All right. No, they've only ever used Intel. Uh, but they have they have shopped around for, for GPUs from different uh, vendors. And I think AMD has been there before. Okay. It was ATI so back in the day. Any of you guys yeah, got a Retina ATI Mac on, on you right now? What, I'm sorry? Any any of you two of you have a 15 inch Retina Mac on you right now? Like I do. What say? Can you look at the yeah, go to the system info? Because right I know that one has two chip, two graphics chips, right? Yeah, a discrete and an embedded, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, and the, I believe it switches back and forth depending on the load, and you can true. you can tune them and blah blah blah. Not that anybody ever did, right? Yeah. Um, Maybe. So it, when it was ATI, ATI got bought by AMD, isn't that right? ATI, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Remember ATI? So they. Oh, ATI got bought by AMD. Okay, that that explains it then. That makes sense. Right. Yeah, that's. I think I think I made the mental connection between AMD, AMD and ATI because ATI used to be here in Toronto, up on up in uh, Richmond Hill. Yeah, and the buildings are still there, but now it says AMD on it. All right, and was that a Canadian company? ATI, Initially? I think was. Oh gosh, now I got to check. Now you're making me. Yeah, no, a friend a friend of mine <laughs> used to work for Dynatech, and he eventually went over to ATI and blah blah blah. Yeah, so my 15 inch MacBook Pro has an NVIDIA GeForce GT 650M. Right. Yes, ATI is based in Markham, so they uh, huh. they are a Canadian company. That's right. Very exciting back in the day, and like like BlackBerry, soon to be gone. <laughs> yeah, as of today, actually. Um, yeah, that's. Well, I mean, they've been dead for a long time, but now they really realize it. Uh, it's all over. Yeah, um, yeah. Zombie, zombie phones. For zom- sure. Zombie company. Imagine like this, you know, Walking Dead, flesh dropping off its corpse, mm-hmm, groaning mm-hmm. for brains. Yeah, no direction. Uh, that's yep. basically what BlackBerry is today. No, they yeah. just dropped the hardware manufacturing today. Right? That's right. They're, that's right. They're continuing to software, so they could conceivably make a an Android phone that competes with, you know, with with something from uh, from Samsung or LT or something like that, right? <laughs> LG rather. So. Yeah, or, or start no. like a Kickstarter for a new BlackBerry Bold or something. <laughs> Never going to happen. No. Mm. <laughs> Man, that, if that company was going to do something interesting, they would have done it by now. I, I just don't see anything happening now. They, that, yeah. that company is, is, is a dead company walking. So they already have something called the DTAC 50 smartphone, which is an Android device. Yeah, with a focus on security. Right, and uh, according to this article, the CEO John Chen said that the company plans to release two new phones by February 2017. So, if they're not Android phones, then what are they? Some kind of horrible Franken phone. Firefox hmm. yeah, OS is going for a fire sale right now, so maybe they'll use that. Pick up the pieces which, for which uh, that Firefox OS for, for mobile oh. phones oh. or... Uh, the Ubuntu Touch Tap, I forget what that was called. Um, mm-hmm. WebOS is still out there, you know. Mm-hmm. Tizen, uh, they, you know, going Samsung. Maybe maybe Microsoft wants to sell off their Windows uh, division, <laughs> <laughs> Windows Mobile division. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. So I stumbled across. I was, I was reading an article. The lost leader was about how Tim Cook was quite blunt about BlackBerry closing up shop today, or at least getting out of the hardware business, and that led to these two articles I posted here. One for how do we pronounce this? Reuters. Yep. 
Reuters, okay. yeah. One from Reuters about Apple's new announcement of their, their teaming up with Deloitte, and a second one from an Apple press release about uh, their moving on with iOS into the enterprise and trying to be more serious about that. Um, I didn't see what Tim Cook had said about the uh, about the BlackBerry. I didn't read that far into it because I was more interested in, in this Deloitte uh, relationship. Have you guys had a chance to look at this one? Yeah, I had a look at this earlier today. Um, I don't see any comment from Tim in this article, at least about the BlackBerry situation. Sure. Well, what, what do you take that as a segue into? Okay, we'll take it as a segue then in that case, because, uh, yeah, I don't think he's talking about BlackBerry here. No. Um, this, I feel, is like a continuation of the strategy that Apple's having with IBM. Um, it, it seems like the same thing. Their their goal really is to accelerate um, iOS in the enterprise, and a natural partner, of course, is IBM, and Deloitte and Touche. It's not Deloitte and Touche anymore, is it? Just Deloitte. Um, yeah, I don't know. Deloitte is another huge business uh, that has tons tons of uh, employees like tens of thousands um and of course they do work for a lot of large enterprises as well so um as a solution provider themselves deloitte can push ios based solutions into other fortune 500 type companies um so just just like ibm is basically doing um so if you want to project into the future here you can see other like big consulting firms uh, such as fill in the blank. I don't know. <laughs> McKinsey is that one? <laughs> I'm not in this world. Price, Price Waters and yeah, yeah, Water- yeah. Waterhouse Coopers, etc. And uh, you know others like them. Uh, you can see you know Apple talking to them as well. I'm sure. So uh, you know it makes tons of sense. It makes all the sense. So um, it, in fact, everything I read about this uh, being like you know the employees themselves are going to be all going iOS. And they're also working on their own specialized software, and they're working with Apple. There was another deal announced, I think, today or yesterday, uh, kind of hand-in-hand hand with this Deloitte one, uh, where Apple is working with Aetna, the large American health insurance provider, uh, A-E-T-N-A, you know them? Aetna. 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 Yep. Uh, so they are providing all of their employees and, um, and their customers... Uh, with Apple Watches. Uh, in, in the case of their customers, they are subsidizing the purchase, and most of the purchase of an Apple Watch, and they're straight up giving them to their employees. Uh, again, many, many thousands of employees. Uh, and they're obviously on the basis of it being an, an excellent health monitor, and at the same time developing software, specialized software, uh, to be offered from Aetna to go on the watch that people can use to track their fitness. And... Um, you know, keep everybody in the loop on how healthy everyone is, right? You can imagine very interesting data going back to a health insurance company. So there's a little, you know, spooky side of this as well, if you think think about it too much. Um, but again, you know, this is Apple, you know, starting to really leverage the massive um, platform, platform advantage that they have with iOS and with Apple Watch uh, to go into large enterprises and um, really propel the kind of growth that they're looking for because, you know, it's not just going to be consumers going into stores and buying onesies and twosies, but now they're starting to go enterprise and getting entire businesses to adopt a platform at the same time. Sort of reminds you of Microsoft in the 80s and 90s, right? So, you know, last week when we talked about, um, well, I did all the talking about, uh, about the Mac going away, 
Um, one of the uh, objections you guys brought up um, was that you know we've we've got office buildings full of PCs. You know, Apple's just mm-hmm. not going to walk away from that. Um, I think what we're seeing here, though, is is an alternative vision for that. Like, what if the future wasn't desktop-bound PCs, and what if it were iOS devices? Yeah, totally. Because that's that seems to be what IBM's partnership and Deloitte's partnership is all about. It's building the foundation to convert the need for all of those PCs with their spreadsheets and their business tracking software. <laughs> well, to, to be honest, like you, you, you have, you're totally on point there because you know I've been defending the Mac for many many years. I'm tired of defending it, but in, especially in that enterprise space and. I don't see, there's no compelling reason why I need to have a PC. Like, the, you know, we're all, like I said, we're all issued PCs, but there's nothing we're doing that couldn't be done in iOS. You know, like we're, yes, we're going to a Confluence website. Yes, we're going, you know, we're, we're all of our tools that we use are online, but it usually has something to do with how those uh, tools are authored and what ho- uh, platforms are hosted on. Because we have a timekeeping piece, we have HR pieces, we have, you know, we're using all the Confluence tools and that kind of stuff. So that means Jira and, sorry, not Confluence, Latson tools, so Jira, you know, um, and all of those things can work in, a, in I hate to say it, Aaron, a Chrome browser uh, no. or Safari, or Safari. And you know, <laughs> and, and to be honest with you, I take my iPad Pro into work. I don't use it on, on on the network at the bank, but there's no reason why I couldn't. Let's put it that way, right? Um, and yeah, so I mean, for what these you know PCs were being handed, and they're they're not cheaping out on the PCs. They're giving us decent ThinkPads, right? But like again, all we you know we can do ninety percent of what we do on the Mac, and then that one or two apps that we have to have the PC for, you know, we begrudgingly pull them out of our bags and fire them up and do our thing, and then put them away and go back to the Macs, right? But you but you realize what you just said. You you do you do ninety percent of what you do on the Mac. Yeah, so no, he's ten percent of what you don't do on the Mac. You don't you don't need a PC for exactly, but you still need a Mac. Yeah, no, no, no. But, of your work. Yeah, no. But what I'm saying though is, again, I use a Mac because I use this program called Xcode, which doesn't exist in iOS yet, right? So right. let's put that aside for a minute. But what I'm saying is, the other people, the business analysts, the project managers, all that kind of stuff, they're just using tools that are most for the most part online, like on the enterprise servers, you know, cloud based tools. There's no reason why they couldn't do those in iOS. Aaron's right. In that sense, very narrow sense. So, I mean, okay, so that's that's enterprise, and I I think that I at least I can see a future, and I, I think Apple's seeing it too because that's why they're making these partnerships. I think, yeah, for so, sure. So you know, they see a future where you go into an office in the year twenty twenty five, okay, nine years from now, and um, you're not seeing Dell boxes on every desk with like crt displays anymore and uh you're you're seeing uh, like an open office basically terrible i can't believe i'm saying this but people walking around with ipads and phones basically and you know they just park wherever they want when they have to hammer out a long-form document otherwise they're just standing in groups and tapping on their tablets and phones and you know i think the office environment looks a little different than it does today i think apple has a pretty clear picture of that yeah for sure I, I think it's it's great for Apple. Um, it's just another sign, I think, that they are growing uh, into their size, right? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, that's worth mentioning because uh, we've probably mentioned this before, but Apple's not a small company anymore, right? I mean, yeah. we've been Apple customers 
the, the four of us for so long that we still think of Apple as a little company that is beleaguered, flag, yeah, is doomed, yeah. and um, everyone wants to beat up on them. Uh, well, everyone still wants to beat up on Apple, but they're not small anymore, right? They, they are bigger than Microsoft. They're bigger than IBM, um, probably put together. <laughs> and uh, so, you, so, you know, that, that's a funny, funny uh, thought because, you know, I, I never would have put that, those two things together. I never would have thought until you said it that Apple is actually bigger than those two. Well, it, yeah, and that's the thing. Really? Like, I mean, it, that's that's just just in my head, you know, because in yeah. my head, you know, I, I see I see actors on TV, and I always think of them as being older than me. When in fact, I am now at their age or older. You know, in my in my mental image, I never really like, like Aaron said. I remember defending the Mac when you know the the office had an I, IBM Baby Thirty Six or whatever they were called, and you know these dumb terminals, and they would look at my Mac and go, "That's a and yet, I was thinking about this today. I produced the first um, production schedule for an in, for our entire corporation at one, at one point in our career on a spreadsheet using Microsoft MS Work works works on a Mac. Right? They had never thought of doing the production schedule on anything resembling a spreadsheet because they were working with these archaic, you know, IBM dinosaurs. Right. Anyway, so I've gone through the whole phases of, of having to defend the Mac, and then finally I got to a point where I just sort of, you know what, there's no point in arguing with these people, right? They're never going to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think the, the thing you come back to is you look at the Apple of the period where we grew up with them, basically, and became fans, et cetera, and they were a small yeah. company. But now, with their size, I don't think that even Apple recognizes how big they are, right? Because yeah, perhaps, yeah. they have heretofore not really been big deal makers. They're extremely conservative when it comes to that sort of thing. And I think now they're starting to understand the the leverage they have uh, to make deals, not just to buy companies, but to make partnerships. And, to, and making partnerships True. not with other similar-minded companies, but companies that are aligned... Uh, with their strategic interests, they are bending the world now to their interests. And I think IBM was the very first sign of that. And uh, Deloitte is just another. Itna is just another. And we're going to see more of these. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So keep an eye out. Um, this This company is poised to take over the world. It really is. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, it seems that they don't seem to know how to throw their own weight around, which is kind of sort of how which is IBM, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's the good side of it being is. the leader of the, of the pack, right? They're you know, thankfully they're leading by example, and they're not going around stomping on little companies, you know, like other like others in the past have done, right? Ideally, yeah. I mean, they'll they'll Sherlock certain things, but <laughs> well, that's a different story. Yeah, other I guess than, it is. Other than us lowly independent <clears throat> developers who are like hanging onto their you know the threads hanging off the ends of their jeans, right? Right. I mean, we we see like because we're developers and we know a lot of people inside of Apple who are you know sort of developer relations. Uh, we know that very it's a very small group of people that actually run the company. At the same time, um, I don't think we truly appreciate how much bigger than us Apple is. You know, um, we can see the faces that make up Apple, but we don't understand just how much mass there is behind those very few faces. I, I think you guys have a kind of distorted view being possibly in Toronto. Well, yeah, so tell us, enlighten <laughs> certainly us. Around here, certainly around here, Apple is, is one of the three, yeah, three big players for sure in this area. I mean, there's, there's Apple, there's Google, and there's Facebook now, yeah. which, which completely dominate this valley. 
you can't go anywhere without seeing one of those three. And they all have their kind of uh, sort of fiefdoms kind of carved out in, yeah. in some sense. Um, and thousands and thousands of people work for them. So, so I don't think anyone around here by any stretch of the imagination views them as a small company. But see, that's just the thing is like the, the, and you're right, because that's the whole perception thing. And we talked about this. I talked about this a bit last week is in your world, everybody, you know, the lots of, there are lots of Macs. We have lots of Macs in retail here as well. Right. But finally, thank God. Um, but, and you know, in your world, everybody has sort of an iPhone or, or maybe an Android, but mostly iPhones. And up here, we've been dragging the stupid Blackberry thing around, right? We have yeah, Tim Hortons yeah. and Blackberry. Those seem to be the two staples <laughs> of Canadian, you know, and poutine, right? Well, there's not as much poutine as, as you might think, but still oh, okay. there's more Tim Horton donuts and, and, and than there are poutine around here. But, and it, it's, it's kind of, I talked to a venture capitalist once here in Toronto and he kind of sort of explained to me that, you know, in, you know, the, clearly, you know, Silicon Valley and, and San Francisco is kind of where the sort of, all that sort of buzz is going on. And over in, you know, Vancouver, Seattle, they seem to be a little bit more open to sort of newer kind of ideas for apps and, and that kind of stuff. But Toronto as a, as an investing market is very old school, very, you know, stuck in the mud, you know bricks and mortar kind of thinking and it's and you know they don't really see apple that big if you saw the size of the apple office here mark you would cry mm. right it used to be quite big here and and now it's 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 down it's down where it needs to be down you know south of king street there uh, and it's a nice office and it's got you know well appointed and that kind of stuff but but it's not as big as it should be really is what i'm trying to say right like in terms of you know, it's kind of it's kind of like Aaron saying they're kind of like a little rebel bunch of guys who are you know really running the world from a very small um, uh, base, if you will, it, here anyway, right? So yeah, I mean, yeah. they're directed a lot by what happens in California, right? But right. yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, in the U.S., I mean, Apple has been the top, well, if not the top, but one of the top two or three market cap companies on the stock market for years now, and and you know, so that means bigger than. GM, although I think it trades on and off, you know, back and forth with GM and, and probably Google uh, on what is the the biggest company in the in the in the U.S. and therefore the world, uh, and it's been doing that for years now. Uh, so that means it's bigger than IBM, way bigger than IBM, uh, way bigger than than you know, General Electric, even all these companies, these companies that you imagine are huge companies. Apple's bigger than all of those, and, and it's been that way for a while. And, and it's taking a while, but but I think I think as, again something like this Deloitte move and the IBM move certainly does make um, the thinkers up here pay attention to that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Sorry, Aaron. No, not at all. That's perfect. Uh, I think it's right on topic. Yeah. Um, Big Apple. BuddyBuild is a mobile optimized continuous integration and delivery platform that takes just minutes to set up. Thousands of mobile development teams love BuddyBuild because it's the fastest way to distribute their apps to users and gather bug reports, feedback, and crash reports. Then, use built-in integrations for bug trackers and tools like Slack to seamlessly integrate that information back into their development process. With a simple screenshot, testers can send their feedback directly to you, along with important diagnostic details. If your app ever crashes, BuddyBuild will record the frequency, affected users, and traces back to the exact lines of source code that caused the crash in the first place. BuddyBuild gives you even better visibility into crashes with Instant Replay, a video recording that shows exactly what your users were doing when the app crashed, giving you the exact steps needed to repro the issue. 
BuddyBuild gives development teams like yours perfect insight into bugs and empowers you to iterate on your app faster than ever, knowing you're building an app your users love. Join the thousands of developers who have already added BuddyBuild to their development process. Try it free today at BuddyBuild.com. I just found this today. This is uh, just a little posting from Dice.com. They are a huge job posting site. So anyone who's, who's looking to hire someone would post at Dice.com. Been around for a long time. I kind of think of them as old web, you know, like in the same way that uh, Dig.com is their slash dot. Dice was around back then, too. And uh, so I hadn't thought about them in a long time, but they are like sort of known in my mind, at least as a technology hiring firm that does postings from a lot of different companies and, and um, small companies, etc. Anywho, this is um, a little uh, article from them, uh, an editorial on their site, which is not something I thought they did, but here it is. Uh, called Swift Job Market is Bad News for Objective-C. That's the headline. The idea being that if they search their own listings of job postings for Swift compared to Objective-C, they found that at the closest margin uh, over time, there were four times as many jobs for Swift as there were for Objective-C. On average, though, there were nine times as many Swift versus Objective-C. So uh, it's sort of taking off on that point, basically, like if you're an Objective-C developer, really ought to get into the Swift program if you want to remain an Apple developer. By the way, did you notice that on that Swift versus Objective-C on the job market link, if you click that, it takes you to a page that's the story, and there's a whole list of jobs on the right. Oh, really? And they all say Swift. Yeah. Only half of them are actually iOS Swift. Yeah, there are banking oh, really? Swifts. Hmm. Yeah. So, so I would take this article with a grain of salt if they even they're not even able to tell the difference there between mm. a Swift, like a Swift job, meaning not not our language, like no, no, you know, like things like, out there that are called, called Swift. Swift, yeah, yeah, other than language. Yeah, right. that's true. That's true. Yeah. Huh. I saw an ad. Uh, to, uh, no, it's a recruiter from LinkedIn. Somebody in Toronto moving from Swift two to Swift three. Oh, I'm interesting. Sure yeah, I was looking at that last week myself on a couple of uh, things I'd written in the past. I wanted to update them and interesting changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in, in this case, some of them, of course, roughly ha- actually exactly half of them are are iOS Swift. The so I'm looking at it right now. It seems to change a little bit depending on when you go. But there's the first one is w- WWTA Synchrony yeah. Labs. That yeah. one is iOS, but the Hexaware Technologies looking for a Swift engineer, is not iOS. Mm. Uh, the IBM one, interestingly, not, look, interestingly enough, uh, looking for a senior Swift engineer is not iOS. Mm. Uh, wait a minute, is that right? Yes, that's right. That one's not iOS. Yeah, you can tell the Swift if it's in all caps. All, all caps Swift is banking Swift. Really? Oh, yes, because that's the, that's the exchange mechanism. That's, yeah, the, basically the wire system. Yes, because when I when I used to send Mark money, I would send it by, via Swift. Uh huh. That's right. Yeah, Swift codes. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that and some of the uh, the math that they're doing doesn't really make sense in the article. Uh, just take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I think probably the overall trend is true, but the article is 
mm-hmm. actually hilariously misguided. I mean, if if that is the case, because uh, to have it, you know, evidence of why the numbers are so inflated compared to Objective C sitting in the sidebar there, um, you know, and, it, and if you read the article, actually, they they kind of admit that they're looking for strings, Swift versus Objective C, and oh, they also examine. Right. One of their search terms are on their on their own listings is Objective Space C, mm-hmm, as opposed mm-hmm. to Dash C, right? Um, which is the official name of the language. Uh, so they they themselves admit that there are misspellings and um, different ways of of writing it that that change the numbers, right? So uh, you know, and and to have right alongside that this other interpretation of the the word. Um, really sort of drags their argument down a little bit i think mm-hmm. whoops uh but as mark very cleverly pointed out <laughs> there is this swift which is not the programming language but is rather the wire transfer mechanism that is used globally for banks uh all caps that uh there are many jobs posted for including three out of the five swift jobs in the sidebar so what do you think it's interesting, though, Nate Swanner, the editor who, or the person who put this blog up, um, is somebody I follow on Twitter. I'm not sure how I got connected to him. but Nate does um, ring a bell. Yeah, he does. Uh, yeah, you've actually, uh, he retweeted something you said today, actually. Oh. Yeah, this uh, is eviscerating, I think you said, uh, September 27th. Anyway, he, I think he's someone who follows us or, or follows the show or something. Um, so I don't know that he's... Not someone who wouldn't have done a little bit of homework, right? Yeah. As opposed to using an algorithm, like I think we're kind of oh, suspecting. This right? may be where I found it. Um, I don't follow him, but he does follow me, Nate Swanner. Um, and he is editor at Dice.com. So there you go. So at Nate Swanner is the author of that article. Um, yeah, so that is peculiar. I don't, you know, it's funny. The article does not mention how it takes into account the differences in the term and how how it's used uh but uh it it does put a seed of doubt in our minds put it that way <laughs> to see yes. to see how how swift is uh not just for programming uh in iOS mm-hmm. so interesting but i i reading reading between the lines on his on his uh what do you call it profile on twitter i mean he's got a swift banner as his artwork and um he's got pound swift and iOS dev as as uh, some of his monikers some of his editing jobs. Dice.com is where we found this article, right? Indeed. Yeah, formerly with the Next Web. So I don't think um, he's a guy who wouldn't have done his homework. I would hope not. And yet. We'll find out. Maybe we will. Maybe there will be follow-up next week and we'll find out. Um, maybe I'll write to him. <laughs> Just ask. Maybe an idea. Yeah. Um, all right. There are some weird things in the text as well. It says, quote, even though Swift averages eight more job postings on a month-to-month basis than its older rival, uh, even though it's just a continuing an earlier thing. So if Swift has eight more postings than Objective-C, and at the same time, nine times as many postings, that as it says in the earlier paragraph, that sort of implies that there's less than one Objective-C posting per month, and nine swift postings per month which doesn't seem right yeah he used an absolute number like eight 
That yeah. doesn't make sense. I'm trying yeah, to find so that. I wonder that's if that's a typo. It's the bottom of the third paragraph. It may be. It may be. Oh, yes, I see it. And it's yeah. written out eight, which is proper. Yep. But uh, even though, even thought, Swift averages eight more job postings on a month-to-month basis. It must be eight times. So what was, well, your, what was your intention in posting this, Aaron? What was your... Well, you know, like we've been um, talking recently about how, uh, you know, what which program language is being used more in uh, sure. in apps being posted. And I think this is as much a bellwether as, as any other factor, right? When you look at the indexes of the most prog- uh, popular programming languages and how Swift has rapidly climbed, um, and it, I think it has surpassed Objective-C for, um, like, projects on GitHub sort of thing, you know? Um, but... Uh, we spoke, was it two weeks ago, maybe, about a... Oh, yeah, was Buddy it, was, Build. Yeah, Buddy Build. Dennis, that was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Dennis brought some numbers to the... Of, and that was the numbers out of the companies that are using his... Framework. His software, which wouldn't yeah. necessarily represent the entire app network, app store uh, apps out there, but it would represent the ones that are currently active and the ones that are interested in, you know continuous integration and you know like because that's what his his uh, market so i can't i don't remember the number he gave us in terms of what the size of uh, clients are like you know whether it's ten thousand or a hundred thousand or but they're they're growing rapidly so i assume it's a large number large enough number that he could take numbers or statistics out of and, and represent what was going on and what he said was he didn't have a slide for it in the presentation but he told us verbally that uh um all of the people using his um, application to publish their uh, apps to the app store. Eight uh, percent are written in Swift or have Swift in them. So, eight. That's single digit. Eight. Yeah. Eight. Uh, yeah. You weren't on that show, well, Mark. Um, no, I guess not. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. So we we actually mentioned all those asterisks and you know provisos as you said there, Tim. So, um, yeah, I think this is just uh, this is an indication. I think it's a leading indicator. I think as economists would say, um, of because hiring intent suggests where companies want to go, right? It's not just, we have this app we want you to help out with. It's, we're going to build a new app and we need these people in place. So that's why I see job postings as leading indicators, because they they want these types of people in there because they intend to, at some point in the future, have a Swift application, if this is in fact the case. Or maybe it's um, you know it's not four times greater than Objective C, but because half of those Swifts are for finance, um, <laughs> it's uh, maybe just two times. But you know, I think it's quite likely, given this, that there are more Swift postings than Objective C postings. Sure, and there's a there's a link in the middle of that article to the Tyobe in- index yeah. for September 2016, and if you look, you'll see that Ruby, Swift, and Objective C are right there in the middle of the pack in terms of. I guess I'm not sure what the Tyobe in- index is, but I assume it's some sort of scale of how many apps are out there. Java and C are the one and two position right now, right? So, yeah, this is uh, for every app that's that's written for any platform. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how they get this information. But yeah, noteworthy that Java is number one uh, because of all that server Java and, and Android Java uh, makes up for a lot of Java. Yeah, in this list, actually, uh, in Tyobi's list, it's uh, Swift is just ahead of Objective-C. They're like adjacent to each other. and uh, But notably, Objective-C is on a decline, a double Chevron down-pointing decline, whereas Swift is an up-pointing Chevron incline is that the right word anyway <laughs> um, what is interesting and encouraging is if you add the swift and objective c together and then 
place it based on the rating percentage where it would be if it were just a combined iOS. Yes. I, I guess it's not just iOS. It includes Mac OS, TVOS, all that too. But, Nobody but cares about all that. all of those combined uh, would put it uh, in, looks like, sixth place right behind Python. Right behind Python, yeah. Which is good. So yeah. it seems that Tyobe is one of those companies that that uh, checks code. Like if you if you have an enterprise app or or you're publishing something and you um, you need to vet your code by a third party, Tyobe is one of these companies that scans the code. So um, they say that they scan 400 million lines of code worldwide each real time each day. So that's probably where they're getting these statistics from. It also explains a lot why Java and C and, and even C++ are at the top because in the enterprise space, I think those dogs oh, are yeah. in other places. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Totally. Totally. Yeah, so, I don't know. I get, like with anything, right? you got to take it for what it's worth. Um, it's one of many metrics that are out there that you can look at. Um, it jives with what I think, though, about uh, the popularity of Swift in the new job market. Uh, anyone looking for a new role? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, perhaps Objective-C developers will become the, the Pascal or COBOL developers of of this year, eventually, where there's this legacy code that um, those of us who know Objective-C will be called back in and paid exorbitant amounts of money to maintain. <laughs> um, there won't be a ton of those jobs, but those that have the skill set will be valued. It's true, and there definitely is a need to learn Swift and get up on get learning it because more company, more and more companies. I think we've all said it before. If you're writing new projects, you should be writing them in Swift because that's where the market's going, at least in iOS. Definitely, I don't think we can have any doubt about that anymore, right? Like there was a time where we wondered if Swift was going to be a thing that's going to stick around, and I don't think we're going to talk about that seriously anymore, right? All right, good. Well, we're all agreed. Um... <laughs> What do we got now? We've got we talked about the MacBook Pro. Wonderful. I'm going to get one of those, by the way. I think. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if I mentioned this uh, in the past, but uh, I think I might have made a mistake in getting the original MacBook, MacBook One, the 12 inch. Really? One. Yeah. Um, like it's just it's gotten to be too slow for me, and it's kind of driving me crazy. And I, this wasn't the case like right when I first got it, but uh, over the past couple months, I've been finding that I've been waiting a lot longer for things to happen in Xcode. Hmm. Um, now there's some people that might be like, duh, yeah, I mean, it's got a slow processor. It's like the 2013 MacBook Pro or whatever, or Air, I think is what the comparison was. Um, but I don't remember that being such a big problem when I first got this, but nowadays it definitely well, is. Xcode 8 seems to have a lot of, uh, beach ball spinning and, and slowness. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's not so just it that. May, it yeah. may just be that. It's actually 7, I'm using a lot of 7.2 these days, or 7.3, whatever one it is because I'm maintaining an older app at this moment, but uh, in both, in both, 8 and 7. Yeah, I know what it is. Like, I, I'll sit there, and um, it's going to drop the whole the whole app from the cache and recompile it from scratch, and I could just walk away and come back, like, in 10 minutes or so. Yeah, you're um, writing in Swift, by the way? Uh, well, this particular app is an Objective-C Swift right, uh, and right. Swift uh, app. Oh, yeah, I was talking to Michelle, Michelle Totolo at uh, Indie DevStock, and she was sort of relaying to us, and you know, in a, you could sort of read between the lines, but she was saying that that on their 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 build servers, Swift takes a long time to compile compared to Objective C. So it was just one of a little side notes there. Mm-hmm. Does that chart with the amount of Swift you have, or or is there just kind of like a single drop of Swift causes you to get a performance penalty? 
You remember Aaron was complaining about a year ago about yeah, the fact right. that Swift, Swift had to <laughs> recompile every single time. Every time. To, yeah, probably 2.1 era, right? Thereabouts, yeah. yeah. That's what I was about to bring up. Uh, but th- they supposedly had fixed that. But clearly there are still a lot of circumstances where it's recompiling all over again. And it's, uh, it's a little... It causes a lot of delay. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I come home and do the work on my 27-inch iMac retina thing you know it's way faster i i am not at all troubled by compile times it just does it boom so there's a huge performance difference and it's becoming more and more of a problem for me so other than that other than that one thing this is a wonderful computer <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty i saw them yesterday i've spent the last couple of days at the at the apple store in toronto interestingly enough and, and i kind of looked around the room to see where the attention was, you know, for the sake of our, our follow-up on our last show. But I went to buy uh, my wife. Uh, I finally got around to buying her the 9.7-inch the iPad Pro. Um, but, of course, being a buffoon, I forgot to buy a case, so I had to go back the next day and buy a case. But <laughs> when I went back, I made a point of looking around the room and seeing, like, you know, because, you know, the, the Apple stores are laid out. They've got the Apple TVs on the one side. They've got the Macs sort of spread around. And through the middle, they've got the, you know, the iPads on one side, the, the phones on the other, and then the watches up the middle. And it was interesting to see just from the who, what tables had the most people on it. Clearly the phones had the most, right? And the iPads had quite a few. There were a couple of guys looking at Macs. Nobody was looking at Apple TVs. Nobody, mm. right? And and the watches, a couple of people, like the first day I went in, nobody was looking at the watches, which is why I managed to get those pictures of the ceramic watch that I took. Um, and then the next day there were some people talking about watches, but it was kind of the, the, just sort of how, and then of course the whole back of the Apple store is people getting support from the geniuses, right? So, and it's packed, right? Yeah. It's just ludicrously packed. But, and of course the, 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 uh, the line out the door, um, you know, for people who were coming to pick up phones, whether they were just waiting in line to get them or they had, they were picking them up, but the people were, you know, it was long waits. I mean, it took a long time for even to go fetch oh, an iPad for me. And we were talking about this at work the other day. And I, I just remember, I made note of, of times, um, if you order an iPhone 7 right now, you're probably looking at maybe a week or two. If you're ordering an iPhone 7 Plus, it's three to four weeks. And the watch, I believe, is the same thing, right? I don't think the watches are supposed to ship yet, though, right? The Watch Series 2s are shipping now, but the Nike ones are shipping in late October, they say. Right, but even because it was a question, you know, what's the timeline on a watch? And, I, and you know, you know, I, I just went online to check, and, and it was like three to four weeks for a watch for... Oh, that's crazy. Watch. Yeah, crazy. I mean, that's what we expect that, though, when new products roll around. But yeah. but interesting that the iPhone 7 Plus, right, with the promise of this new camera, seems to be the product in demand compared to um, compared to the 7. But then again, we never know how many of these they make, right? So That's always the thing. They don't tell us at all. At all. So, um, yeah. <laughs> how are you guys liking your phone so far? I'm still loving mine. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's... It's not that it's not that different from the iPhone six that I had, except that it's much faster. So uh, it, that's a great thing. I'm, I'm used to I'm used to kind of the things that I was worried about getting used to, like the the new uh, the way the home key works now, and the and the lift to lift awake and things like that. So yeah, so it's great, and I'm pretty happy with the matte black case, not or not case, but the you know the matte black phone not showing scratches and fingerprints at all i see no scratches on mine which is great so hi maybe falling asleep no i'm here and uh 
the you know i like mine as well i think very similarly i like the fact that it's um you know a lot faster especially that the touch id is lightning fast mm-hmm. i mean between that yeah. and the raised awake it I, I don't know how it lived before i mean i was like <laughs> oh man when i use my, yeah. my ipad air 2 i'm like oh this is so slow to log in. What the heck? Like, yeah. I have to press a button. <laughs> yeah. I have to wait and wait and wait. It just it, it, it is true. On my iPad Air 2, when I press the button now, it, it almost feels like it's broken because the button actually moves. Oh, right? yeah. Right? right. <laughs> well, this, this, is, this is what I'm experiencing because I'm still, I'm still slugging my iPhone 6 around, and, and I'm really noticing the time it takes for the, the phone to unlock now. And I keep swiping left, you know, like an idiot, right? But... But uh, yeah, I've really like as you know, as you guys have been talking about your iPhone sevens, you know, for the last couple of last couple of sh- episodes, you know, I'm really noticing every time I put my finger on the on the this crummy, you know, version one Touch ID sensor, how long it takes to go, kind of go, okay, yeah, it's unlocked. <laughs> you can look at your stuff now. You know, really slow, really slow. I got to tell you, I think uh, I really, really like my phone a lot right now. Um, it's been really wonderful to have getting used to the plus size. Uh, I think I have, and I am totally cool with it. Um, the display, I think the display is unsung. Um, how, how beautiful it is compared to my six, at least, uh, every time I, I open it, I think it might have to do with the fact that my previous phone was a white one. Like it had a white face with a silver back. Uh, this one's all black. This is the jet black one. And the display, how even when it's off, it just disappears. But even when it's on, uh, it seems like I cannot see the difference between the display and the bezel of, you know, or the, the, the border, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's virtually seamless to my eye. So it's, it's been really amazing to have that. Um, and the speed, oh my God, the speed. <laughs> it's just, it's phenomenal. It really is phenomenal. Uh, for testing... Um, I've been working uh, with with an older app of ours at Disney, and um, I'm I have to use a device that runs nine point three point five, and that device is a fifth generation iPod Touch that I have, um, <laughs> which I could not be further from my iPhone Seven Plus than than that is because it is tiny. I have a really hard time like squinting with the keyboard to type on it. Uh, that was a, a, a four inch screen. It came out at the same time as the iPhone five that same year. Um, and it's also incredibly slow, like incredibly slow. When I go from that back to my iPhone, uh, the difference is shocking, absolutely shocking. So again, just to reiterate what I said last week, when I was slagging on tech press for not making a big deal about how awesome the iPhone seven is, um, I'll just remind you that not everybody is jumping from just last year's model. Uh, people are jumping from the year before's model, and they're jumping from even older ones because maybe they've taken three or four years to update. Those people are going to be blown away, blown yeah, away sure. yeah. by these devices, um, as, as I am. Uh, so I'm totally impressed. I have scratched it up a bit, though. Oh, really? Yeah, hmm. you, you look at the back of this thing, and uh, I can see it on the corners... Um, of the back and uh, the, the bottom ones in particular but I'm also seeing it on the top this um, I'm, I'm calling it scuffs they look like scuffs that's the best I can say it's like yeah, uh, it kind of take little... shine, takes a shine off it yeah. kind of thing yeah, yeah yeah you know what it looks classy yeah that's I, what I'm saying like I, that's what I call patina it's kind of like you know gives yeah. it a sort of lived in look right you yeah know? yeah because I can see this happening um, it getting more pronounced over time because I mean it's only been what two weeks um, 
And so I can imagine like a year from now, it's going to be uh, extremely pronounced. And I have a feeling it's going to look pretty cool. Uh, yeah. But I'm not not at all troubled by it. Um, I love the feel of the finish. Like, that's the big thing, right? That's one of the reasons I chose the Jet Black, because I, I knew that it would be grippy enough where I would feel safe not having it in a case. And that is so far. Yeah, interesting. They didn't have any Jet Blacks at the at the Apple Store. I looked around. They had a couple of the, the matte black ones. but You no mean on the floor? Yeah, on display. I didn't see. I couldn't. I looked around. Ooh. I couldn't see any that that were there. I, I, somebody had just bought one, but I wasn't going to go over and say, "Hey, can I look at your phone?" No. You know? so I wandered into the. I wandered into the Palo Alto store a couple of days ago just to check that out, and they did have the Jet Blacks. But I'll tell you, they were they were pretty disgustingly filthy. I mean, it's the one that everyone picks up and is handling. And, oh, maybe that's why. And yeah. The entire back of it was just fingerprints. You could barely see the phone. It was just y'all. You could see were fingerprints. It was pretty gross. I found actually when I went to the Apple store, um, that when I went to the Apple store to look at the phones, uh, before I got mine, they, they had the jet blacks there, uh, filthy as, as you said, Mark, um, quick wipe with my, I, I carry a cloth for cleaning my glasses, uh, quick wipe and off it comes. And I find the same thing. Um, the real problem though, is that people keep picking them up, uh, taking them off the chargers. So <laughs> you can't, uh, it, that every phone I tried, it died in my hands because it was just no <laughs> battery left. Uh, that was a little annoying. It's uh, flu season coming up, so nice. Mm, yeah, it's going to be a consideration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did you burn that rag after you were done with it? Or? <laughs> yeah, get your shots. <laughs> That'll be coming up soon. Right, that's true. McLaren Racing or Applied Technologies. Yeah, that was left over from last week. I think. No, Mark and I yeah. talked about this earlier. Yeah, that was a. Well, it, it's a follow-up to something that we never had a chance to talk about last time, which was that last time we were we were thinking about talking about the rumor that was going on at the time that Apple was going to buy the McLaren Auto Company, which is a, a company that makes very high-end racing cars uh, and, and very expensive. And it was sort of you know, a head-scratcher of what, what would Apple do with this. Uh, yeah, they want to get some car technology, but, but that seems like an odd choice of a company to, to buy for a for, for something that they hope to make a mass market uh, solution for. Uh, and, and very quickly, McLaren <clears throat> denied that, that, that this is happening, and again, the rumor kind of went away. It was actually, I think, the Financial Times that had published it originally, so it had some credibility, but it was strongly denied. And uh, soon after that, a follow-up came out that it, it may be that Apple is actually looking to buy uh, McLaren Applied Technologies, which is a... a not a spin-off, I think, but a but a branch of, of the McLaren company that doesn't make the cars themselves, but they make instrumentation for measuring stuff. I mean, not just cars, but all sorts of real-world things as well. Uh, and there's speculation that, that Apple might want that. Now, what they would want that for is, is another good question. Do they want to put that into their manufacturing process or, or into their car process that, that's coming? That's a good question. But but it seems to make a little bit more sense that they might be looking at that than the actual car company. But we don't really have any more information about that yet. Right, but but isn't that part of the division that manages the, like, you know, when you're in a race car, they're like computers on wheels, right? Um, isn't that part of the, the technology that this branch of McLaren deals with, like in terms of maybe AI yeah, that for driving? I, that I don't know. That I don't know. From what I've, uh, from what I've seen, it's more about uh, instrumentation and, and Potentially simulation, VR simulation of driving the cars. Uh, I don't know whether they actually are involved in the actual onboard uh, computer for the car. That's a good question. 
Hmm. So we'll see. I mean, it's not too much to say about it right now. Just it's a it's a let's wait and see kind of thing. Maybe buy a few shares of McLaren just in case. <laughs> it, and actually, I don't even know if it trades in the U.S. market. I was just about to ask you that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, like uh, there's so much uh, smoke about the car project, right? We like, we know there's a car project. Everybody does, right? It's just what stage is it at, and and where are they heading? That we have no clue of. Certainly not Manitoba. Um. Okay. <clears throat> that was a bit of follow up. Uh. Yeah. So I was watching today, uh, it got published today, Ryan Nystrom did a talk at Just Try Swift. I think he was one of the last talkers there, and he was talking about refactoring at scale. So that kind of got me interested because I know that uh, he's uh, he works for Instagram. And uh, he's been, we don't know, I don't know what he was doing until he did this talk. And apparently he's been working on some of the back end uh, issues with uh, Instagram, the actual application. And so in rewriting Instagram, um, of course, I'm recommending everybody watch this video to get the full scoop. But in rewriting Instagram, they, they evaluated how uh, the entire um, stream works, and they break it right down to an individual, uh, I forgot what he called it, but like, uh, like a, a unit of, you know, with an image. And uh, it's like a collection view. You have an image, and you have another one, which is the action items, and then you have the comments from the people who make comments on your images. And then how all these fit into a stream. And he talks about interesting ways that they use to... Um, delete and add and insert, uh, you know, basically records into the into the stream so that you know things get updated uh, live in, in flow. And in writing this, um, rewriting Instagram's feed, they came up with a, a tool that they've now open sourced called IG List Kit, which is, allows you to create like an act, like a you know sort of a stream. Um, like you would on an activity stream or a, like a home stream sort of thing as as you might do in many apps, Pinterest, Facebook, uh, in, Instagram come to mind in terms of those kind of, you know, scrolling experiences that people use. Um, so it's an open source tool. It looks really cool and it's written in Swift and uh, he, you know, it's a good, good, good tutorial talking about how they've they transitioned from, you know, the legacy Objective-C stuff and you know, optimized and, and used Swift to do that. Yeah, it was interesting that that they mentioned that uh, the the externally facing part and, and perhaps even the predominant bits of it are in Swift. But he sort of casually throws in C plus plus towards the end there, sure, like, yeah, as being yeah. somewhere mm-hmm. in there, and it didn't really describe where that was. I, I wasn't sure if that was yeah. the diffing engine or some sort of yeah. a, a screen calculation for like CG size or Rex or something. I, I couldn't tell. So I'd be very curious to see if we can uh, get an answer to that. Yeah, and I think there was some. Yeah. I got the impression there was some sorting algorithms in there too. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I, I just clicked on the link in this article for IG List Kit, and I get a four hundred four error. So we can't Whoops. actually see what it is. Yeah, it's they, coming he, soon. he mentions in the talk that it's coming soon. Right, right. Oh, the link. Yeah, yeah. But there's a but there is a link for it, it, the link goes to GitHub.com slash Instagram slash IG List Kit. But it's an empty page. Yeah, somebody must have gotten ahead of themselves, huh? Yeah. I don't see that link, but uh, in the, it's, in the, uh, it's in the section titled "IG List Kit." Actually, that's uh, a good spot. Which is kind of right under "What Can We Give Back?" Yeah, it IG says nice. release release TBA it says in brackets right after it. True. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not here yet. Well, hopefully by the time the show goes live, it'll be there. <laughs> all the c plus plus is buried so far away you'll never have to see it 
Thanks. I love to have C++ code buried so far away that I'll never have to see it when I'm debugging. <laughs> well, I'm just being an ass. My apologies. Yeah, that's okay. But it was interesting about how he talked about, you know, the typical things that you do when you're writing these these types of interfaces. Um, you know, you're, what do you do when things get updated? Well, you you know, tell, tell the table view or the collection view to refresh and things like that. And, and he was talking about this IG um, list kit tool having having the ability to do all that kind of stuff with or do stuff in the background you never have to do that again kind of thing was the the takeaway so it's an interesting interesting little uh piece i might take a look at it myself it does everything on the main thread uh, that was uh, like a key point for them more food for thought hey, did, did you guys see this one about the compile time warnings it's a it's a real quick hit from sure. um curtis sure. herbert you yeah. may know him as the developer of slopes the uh snowboarding enthusiast app um we met him and we saw him speak at indie devs like tim he was like your one of your picks i think uh he was my yeah yep. yeah yeah uh so that's the context uh, in any case he you know and he has that project with uh both objective c and swift and the the general gist of the blog was like well you know he's looking to do ios 10 as his baseline and then you know eventually said yeah i'm gonna i can make it as a downgrade to to nine as, as my baseline it's fine i'm not using any you know, 10 specific goodies, except for the fact that he mentions that, oh, by the way, um, UI applications open URL method that you might use to, you know, make telephone calls or open something in Safari, you know, integrate with an app using a URL scheme, whatever the case may be, right? There's tons of reasons to, to use that. That method has been, um, you know, changed going forward into to, to iOS 10. And now it's it's the rather wordy like open URL with you know, options, completion handler, so forth. Uh, and he dutifully migrated to the new one, saying, "Hey, I want to be on latest and greatest." And he'd also done something uh, similar with the preferences or something in uh, on the Swift side of the house, right? So on the Swift side of the house, the compiler said, "No, no, no, hold on, you you can't do that, right? The um, you got to use the pound available pragma their directive to." Say, oh, well, if this is available, use this. Otherwise, use this other thing. Um, but Objective-C, which is where he was using the open URL to take you, I want to say it was to the App Store. It's been a while since I've read the article. Uh, for like, oh, you know, you're having a good experience? Great, go give us a review. Uh, Objective-C doesn't check that as a compiler warning. It just throws up on you at runtime, which is what he ran into. It's like, oh my gosh, I've got to go fix this. Uh, so, so be careful there, folks, when you uh, try to move forward with these things, uh, depending on your platform. So, I think that's definitely a, a feather in uh, Swiss hat that it, you know, it helps prevent you from doing these sorts of things, uh, no matter how careful you are with them. I think. Interestingly, in the screenshot that he's got there, it's one of the pieces he talked about in the talk. It was just as, as an aside here. Is this is his way of, of asking for ratings in the app? If you see there that like it's a table row that shows up and says, you know, are you enjoying slopes? Yes, no, whatever. But you can scroll past that so it's not modally in your face. And he just thought he found that was a he got more results out of asking for uh, reviews that way, you know, without without blocking the user from enjoying the app per se. Right. That's actually a pretty cool idea because you can you can have it be in front of the user a lot more often without it feeling as intrusive as a modal that you have to dismiss every single time exactly yeah yeah great idea i'm not gonna let you talk about protobuf because that's my pick <laughs> well let's okay. talk about the uh the, the the companion article to that so there's uh there's apple's uh you know developer blog about uh 
JSON and Swift, right? Like that's been a, a, a big sore point, and it's it's even the case where Apple itself uh, is blogging about it, and they show a lot of uh, techniques you can use to to deal with it. Um, and and their point, main point, seems to be that it's a uh, you know it's better to just sort of roll this yourself instead of using something, um, let's say like Argo and. If, lost track of all the other ones that are out there that try to do Swifty JSON. Yes, thank you. The 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 magic bits, right? And uh oh my gosh, was it Lyft that came out with with one? In any case, uh, from their view it's like, well, if you follow these sorts of of patterns that they describe in the in the blog, then um you know, you can avoid a lot of the downsides of using those those third party bits um or you know, avoiding, make, you know, rolling your own sort of like generic framework to do uh, turn snake case into cam- uh, camel case, um, just because it's, it's easier to debug the edge cases. And having, you know, written my own sort of JSON parsing logic uh, many times over my career, like I kind of agree with that because I've encountered projects that used um, magic frameworks like RestKit, and and they work great to get something off the ground, but they're really, really a, a pain to deal with when. It just mysteriously yeah. goes wrong. Um, so it, it's a really good article, I think, to, to take a look at. Of course, they use um, tons of optionals in, in one form that they show and uh, the error-throwing style in another form. And, and of course, guards, right? Because guards are, are, are great in newer Swift. So when we get to your pick, the, it's kind of like the counterpoint to that, which I, I think will be interesting. So let's do some picks. Um, let's go with Aaron. Aaron, do you have a pick? Yeah, so... Just after last week's show aired, or no, was was uh, recorded, uh, Apple introduced a new plugin. You know what? This might have been there all along, but we we just got it, it got publicized enough that I discovered it. And this is uh, part of the official Apple Open Source Swift project, and it's a plugin that implements proto protocol buffers in Swift. A lot of people don't know what a protocol buffer is, <laughs> so that's sort of the first problem. Uh, it was a technology implemented by Google, and they appear to use it uh, quite a bit internally. Um, and if I can state it in one quick sentence, I would say that it is an alternative to JSON. And that's why it's interesting in the context of the Swift JSON article that Jaime was just talking about. Because um, I think one of the notable things about Apple's talk about JSON parsing in Swift is uh, ultimately how much of a pain in the butt it is. And it has been since day one. It's been like the one big thing that people complain about with Swift. Uh, dealing with JSON is a pain. Uh, it seems that the language is ripe for an alternative uh, that does the transport, does the serialization of data, and does so in a way that uh, d- doesn't require a great deal of hand-holding on the client side. So as it turns out, uh, they have been thinking the same thing, and a protocol buffer is it. What it basically does is it provides a way to transform data between, say, a client and a server, or between two, two ends in a communication setup. Uh, the client server is just the most common one, right? You can imagine a, a server running Swift, for example, that wants to send uh, a model object to a client. And in the standard context, you might have 
uh, have the server send down JSON, which on the client side, you would then have to interpret and feed into a model object, like a struct in Swift. Um, and the way that the article uh, that Apple published does, uh, suggests that you do it, of course, is because you, you've got to treat basically everything that comes in as optional, and you have to basically test every single property that comes in and provide a default value if, if it's missing. Uh, as an example, this is one way you can implement it. What a protocol buffer does is provides you with a, a mechanism for creating a model definition. And this definition is essentially a protocol that describes the properties inside of a model object and uh, what, what format they are, uh, the type. And then it has all the moving parts in the background to uh, allow you to work with that model object and treat it as a much more stable thing than you can with JSON. So in practical terms, you write a proto C document, I believe it's called, with this very simple model definition. Then you generate from that a Swift model file. So you could say like my model dot proto C, and then you spit it through a generator and it comes out with my model dot um, dot Swift, basically. And then you look inside of that, and it's given you a bunch of methods uh, to handle um, this model object. And essentially what it's doing is that it creates default values for all of the properties in the model object. So that when um, an actual model or a data of that model comes through, you can simply assign it. Boom, you're done. The other thing with this is that the protocol buffer, or protobuf, if you want to be really cool, sound it really short, uh, <laughs> um, can transmit this stuff as pure data, like a, a data object in Swift, um, and it can also send and receive in JSON. So you can work with existing servers that send JSON and just basically send the JSON um, through the protocol buffer on your client side and convert it into that model object uh, lickety-split, no problem. Um, so. It seems like a really terrific solution uh, for the problem of dealing with JSON and Swift. It's just not to do it anymore, basically, <laughs> and to use this technology instead. Uh, there's a little bit of a learning curve, um, but it's not too bad. And uh, I think it's, it's fairly easy to grasp. The link is in the show notes. So uh, I think it's definitely worth checking out. And I, I hope that maybe a year or two from now, everybody's dealing in protobufs instead of JSON. <laughs> wishful thinking, but um, it's definitely worth looking at if you're, uh, if you're a client-side Swift developer. Right. So I've not used this plugin because it's fresh and spanking new. Um, I have used uh, protobufs before, and they are pretty nifty for having that, uh, that compactness and being forward and backwards compatible uh, schema-wise, uh, which is kind of hard to do with, with JSON. Um, I will say that in general, protobufs are a little hard to debug because it's it's not human readable, right? You can't just plop it onto a, a file or a console or something and say, oh, uh, what's happening here? Um, but be that as it may, it, it is pretty nice because it it does fit into the um, you know the fashion of having things be immutable, like the way that structs are. Uh, in this implementation, somewhere in all these docs, they mentioned that this is, um, I think, copy on write. So they didn't strictly say immutability, but I interpret it here as being um, 
you know, they're, they're only going to really make like a brand new copy when you try to make a change. Right. So, so let me talk about like the objective C proto buff style. So, um, in general, like once you have a proto buff uh, model object, it's not changeable. Right. So you can say, ah, uh, you know, it's a, it's a read only thing. You say, oh, well, I want to change the, uh, the title on this object. It's like, well, you're going to have to use the, um, like the builder pattern is it to give you a new one with that property changed, right? So it actually instantiates a totally different one. So you could kind of save yourself from never having to worry about like, whoops, I accidentally changed this mutable object, right? I, I blanked out the title or, or I appended something to it. And that seems like it fits a whole lot nicer with uh, Swift's model of like making it so everything is a value, not a reference type uh, where you can. Um, I, I guess the other thing I'm a little... You know, this is a good uh, first step. I'm, I am slightly disappointed that it um, requires the uh, use of a runtime library, so the Swift protobuf runtime library. That makes it essentially the same as the necessity for having that similar runtime library to, to actually run your, your, your protobuf um, in Objective-C. I, I'm really hoping that they can make this um, part of, you know, Xcode's build tools as it is, so you don't have to, like, pull in this other, uh, well, one, either you pull in this other target from the Nextcode project or use the Swift package manager. I mean, it's nice that those are there, but it'd be super great and awesome if it was you know, natively handled by uh, Cocoa and Cocoa Touch, just the way that uh, NSJSON serialization handles that stuff natively for you nowadays. Yeah, that'd be nice. This is where you move on to the next person with a pick. Yes, I'm just, I'm just sorry, I was looking at something else. So uh, before we get into the uh, pick-o-rama from uh, Jaime there, let's go to uh, Mark and see if we have a pick or a tip of the week. So, yeah, I don't have a pick, but I've got another tip of the week, uh, I guess following in my series of, of interesting things that I've discovered about Xcode and iOS 10 uh, since I've started seriously playing with it. There's, there's something kind of subtle uh, that has changed in the way that... Uh, storyboards interact with the co- with code in iOS 10 or, or Xcode 8. Uh, and that is the way that views are initially sized when they're passed to code. So in all previous versions of, of storyboards, uh, and in fact, nibs before that, uh, that you, there was sort of a, uh, you know, what you draw is what you get as your first pass of your view size before it, it, it tries to apply any constraints and, and actually size it as a subview of your view. So, for example, say you draw a view in your 600 by 600 uh, scene in Xcode 7. Uh, say, you, say you draw a view as 200 width, uh, you know, 50 height for the sake of argument. And even though you have constraints set that will change that at runtime, uh, that when when that view is initially loaded, it still has those dimensions. Now, why do you care about that? Well, this there's something that I used to do all the time, and I think a lot of other people do as well because I've, I've talked about it with them. Is sometimes you want to take, for example, a button and have the there's a certain style of rounded button where it's a it's a it's a a uniform curve, so it's not sort of a, a rounded edge thing. But the entire side of the button is, is is sort of a semicircle, and the simple way to do that always was and is actually is just to set the corner radius uh, property of the layer behind the view to half the height. Pretty simple thing to do. People do it all the time. Right. Yeah. 
So, so at a common place for people to do that was in view to load because this, this happens as soon as the, the view loads. As long as you know the height isn't going to change, it's safe to do that because the height that you drew in the storyboard is the height that goes into the, the code and, and it works. Well, now that stopped working in Xcode 8. And the reason, apparently, is that in Xcode 8, we now have this new uh, variable size display of your scenes. Right. Where you can yeah. choose what size display based on, on a device. So you, you choose, do, do I want to look like an, uh, an iPhone 7? Really, it's actually a, a 6 Plus is, is your option there, I think. Uh, or do you want it to look like an SE or an iPad or whatever? And it will change the, the size of all the seeds for you in Xcode. Well, because of that, Apple decided that the drawn size of a view in Storyboard uh, isn't constant anymore. So it doesn't know what to pass into the code at runtime. So the choice they made was to set every frame of every view that comes out of a, a Storyboard or a nib to zero zero one thousand one thousand, that's the frame. So it's the size is the thousand by thousand, no matter what, at the time of muted load. Now, of course, that changes when your constraints get applied, you know, around the layout subviews time. But if you try to do anything with that before that happens, like change the 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 quarter radius of the layer, for example, it uses the one thousand height instead of the actual height that you drew. So hmm. if you try it around to a size bigger than than the height of the of the view, it vanishes. So you just get missing buttons everywhere, all over the place. Big problem. Oh man! Pretty simple solution. Uh, so the solution is just do it somewhere else. Do it in layout subviews or in viewed layout subviews, and you're fine. But but you know if you're like me and you have a lot of old projects that have this kind of thing in a lot yep. of places, it's a lot of work to fix that. So, so that's one. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, is very closely related. It's with table view or collection view cells. So, same deal with those. Uh, it used to be that when you did when you dequeued the, 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 uh, a cell in, in usually in self or road index path, uh, you would got you would get the the first time you did it, you'd get the view the, the cell sized to whatever you drew in the storyboard. Well, now, for the same reason, you don't. So your first pass through, if you try to do exactly the same kind of thing, use the height of some view inside the cell, uh, the first time through, the button's missing. But if you uh, reuse that cell, or if you scroll around and and therefore reuse that cell, the second time that cell is drawn, it's there, Hmm. very mysteriously. So it's, it's this weird thing. The first time you see the table view... If you're missing all sorts of views, then you scroll around and they come back. So exactly the same problem. Right. The, the problem there is there's no viewed sub, viewed layout subviews to call for a, for a table view cell, right? The mechanism is different. So there is a solution to that too, which I guess we're just sort of lucky that it works. And that is uh, in, in self or road, uh, you know, self or road index path or wherever you actually get the cell for the first time, before you try to do anything with it, just call uh, layout if needed on it. And that seems to hmm. force a, a layout before it goes on and, uh, and, and tries to do anything with the cell. So there are workarounds for both these things, but 
sort of unfortunate ones that uh, break a lot of things. So were these just bugs or like this stuff that you're talking about tonight and the stuff you talked about last week with the scroll views? Yep. Is this documented anywhere? Okay, so so last week, I'm 100% sure is a bug, and I'll tell you why. Because it affects apps that are in that are in the store right now, not built against iOS 10. Apps built against iOS 9, running on iOS 10 devices, are affected. That's wrong. That just should never happen. So I call that a bug, flat out. Mm-hmm. This one, this one, I think is a uh, undocumented feature. Apple would call it. <laughs> Microsoft invented <laughs> um, that term, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think Apple would argue fairly. I suppose there is a there is a an argument here that. Well, we never guarantee that views are sized, subviews are sized, until layout subviews is called. I, I think they'll, they'll claim that, and, and it's probably okay. We have to shrug and say, yeah, I guess that's true. You just never, you never made it an issue before. So um, I haven't seen it documented anywhere except in uh, an Apple forum, a developer forum. There was actually someone from Apple who basically said that and confirmed that everything I just said is, is the case. Wow. I noticed I was, I was opening an old project yesterday, and um, it was done in seven initially, Xcode seven, and I did it with dutifully did it with the six hundred by six hundred views. And when I brought it in, when I opened it in eight, and looked at the storyboard, it asked me that question you said, like, do I want to look at this in iPhone six or iPhone seven or whatever, whatever. But what it did was it opened it, it basically opens up a window that's like uh, like a view that I guess that's uh, the size of and, pr- and proportions of an iPhone seven, but underneath it the layout is still six hundred, like everything uh, stretches oh, no. underneath. Actually, actually, no, that's it's it's not actually that. Although it looks like that, I'll tell you what that is. That is an Xcode bug, a storyboard bug that's related to this. So this happens sometimes in Xcode with table views, but not always. Sometimes it will it will uh, size the the actual cells to a thousand by a thousand in storyboard. Right. Well, this this was actually and, this is just a, a regular view with like three buttons and you know a oh, couple oh, okay, of labels, okay. right? And it wasn't it wasn't a very complicated view, but but I just thought it was odd. I went, oh, it kind of scratched my head and went, hmm, that's odd. And you know, I was yeah. still able to drag my button and make the connection I needed to make, but still, yeah. I thought there must be a way of fixing that. I would think. I don't know. Well, get this. This is this is a bad Xcode bug. The first time you do exactly what we said, you open it and you choose a size, and and okay, it, it messes stuff up because uh, the frames aren't correct for the current constraints yeah. uh, and size. So you go through and you edit all of your views and you make it all look really nice and. and uh, in, in the storyboard and, and all of your warnings go away. Yeah. And you save everything and you quit Xcode and come back the next day mm-hmm. and it's all back. It reverts back. Nice. All your changes are gone. Now, the the one thing that's that's not a complete disaster uh, is that this is just the display in, in Xcode, so in storyboard. So so runtime it works fine. It applies the constraints the constraints correctly at runtime. But it's only when you're looking at it in the storyboard that you have all these problems. So, so if you can if you can live with your storyboard just having a thousand warnings and errors or whatever, and, and live with that, yeah, uh, yeah. it's you know it's not the end of the world. But but uh, they have to fix that. They just absolutely have to fix that. Yeah. So uh, okay. So I guess the first thing I'll, I'll say because I ran into something uh, similar, and uh, I was very annoyed that now you have to choose a default size and that that wasn't part of the 
you know, like some sort of migrator. I mean, if you're asking me to update project settings and stuff, you might as well just ask me for every storyboard instead of, you know, I did this for one storyboard and I thought, oh, that's probably setting it for like, you know, everything globally. Nope. Every storyboard (laughs) that I ever touched from there on is like, oh, by the way, what would you like to make your default size and and device? Uh, But be that as it may, I also ran like, oh, okay, I'm just have to support the 4S and make the 4S the default size. Oh, it looks terrible. And like you just took a bitmap and chopped off the piece that would fit that now instead of right, resizing right. it. And I fixed it by just going in. I forget what the little, I forget what this. The little, TIE fighter? Uh, thing, yeah, the TIE fighter. Thank you. Yes. The TIE fighter. is just, ah, just fix it. And it, it seems to have fixed that permanently. Like I didn't, yes. like, every time I come back into it, it looks like it's still okay. Yeah. Yeah, every it, it does that fine. I kind of gloss over this. It, it does that fine for everything except table views that are with well custom table views uh, or or collection views where the protocols have a lot of structure inside them. The oh, cell, okay. The, the cell uh, not protocols. The cell. Uh, what do they call them? The uh, well, actually, so, so prototypes, not protocol, prototypes. Oh, the prototypes. In, in, right, in, right. in storyboard, they have the you know, the, the cell prototypes, right? Mm-hmm. If there's a lot of subviews, custom subviews in there, uh, and it doesn't happen every time, those are the ones that revert all the time, even after you quit and come back in. You know, you know, I just sent you that screenshot of of that view I was yeah. talking about when everything's soft yeah. inside. Well, anyway, just as Jaime was saying that, I just thought, oh, well, let me go look at the Tie Fighter, and I just went down and said, update frames, and it it centered everything correctly now. So. You're right. The first, yes, the, the this this is a, this is phase one, where the first time you open it in Xcode eight and and everything is or or you change the device size, skew. Yeah, you go yeah. through and do all that, and like I said, that works fine for. I'm looking at the one that you're seeing. It should work fine here because that just looks like a view with some with some subviews placed in the view. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But find a if you can find a table view with complicated uh, prototype cells, you'll see the other problem. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying that. And it, yeah. as far as your first uh, tip goes, there uh, that is unfortunately not timely for me because I already worked around this problem. Uh, mm. uh, not in as elegant away as, as you described i just said forget it spec doesn't call for this to be resizable it's not going to be resizable so now i know what corner radius to put on the damn thing and, and just no, move on with my life <laughs> right yeah. i was like what the hell where, where did this thing go it's like wait if i make its corner radius five it, it yep. appears if i make it you know the, the little trick you're talking about you know half the size like huh where the hell did the damn thing go i can't even find it i was like forget yeah. it yeah i've got other yeah. things to do this is not important move on <laughs> Pragmatic programmer. Yeah. Stone yeah. cold Jaime Lopez. Yeah, so actually I do have a, pro, a table view here, Mark, and I see what you mean about the table, the prototype cells in another view. So it's kind of yep. weird and buttons yep. are pushed off the, off, the, off the visible space, right? Yep, yep. Nice. And you're, are you saying that if I fix this and come back, it'll revert? Yes, if you fix it, at, at least for me, and, and I've seen other people talking about it as well on Stack Overflow, etc. cetera, uh, you fix it, as long as you keep Xcode open, it's fine. But as soon as you quit Xcode, come back, open the project again, the problem's there again. Nice. Yeah. That's that's an ugly one. On the lighter note, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the lighter side, uh, at the very least, you don't have the Heisenberg uncertainty principle with storyboards and nibs anymore. So I appreciate that. That's true. Definitely. Right? It doesn't say, oh, you looked at it, you changed it. You just, right? so yeah, I don't really have to watch yeah. uh, get too closely anymore. <laughs> I'm going to reserve judgment on that one. <laughs> we'll see if that's really good. So, so far, it seems to work. He's right. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. okay. So that's my tip. Cool. Tips. Tips. 
So, Jaime, should I go first or you go first? Depends how you want to do it. <laughs> All right, you go first. All righty. So, um, mine are, they're really like the same game here. Uh, it's four, four, four games, two totally separate, or four separate apps, uh, all by full fat. Um, they're various sporting games. The basic concept is the same. They're um, using the voxel style of, uh, of art, like Crossy Road, and their names, uh, starting with blocky something, um, kind of invoke that as well. And they're, they're fun little, uh, I'd call them time wasters, the sort of thing you might do while you're standing in line at the checkout, right, waiting around to get your groceries or something. Uh, so I'll start with uh, blocky hockey, like hockey down to its most essential. You're, you know, scrolling up the screen, you're trying to avoid uh, defenders, and ultimately get up to the point at which you can go one-on-one or perhaps, you know, two-on-one with the... Uh, the goalie and, and try to score and uh, rack up points and just keep your, your whole mojo going. Uh, and, and similar to Crossy Road, you can, you know, you can buy um, other avatars like uh, various teams. They're, they're not licensed. So you'll see like Montreal, but not, you know, who they are. And I'm not, I don't know enough about hockey to know if they're even the right colors, yeah, but you can also get like mascots, like tigers and other weird things. Like I have like a penguin that I, I won. Um, <laughs> and then there's like the same concept for uh some other sports so so moving from sports puck to sports ball is football and that would be the 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 american version of that where similarly you're trying to avoid tacklers score a touchdown and then you get uh, extra bonus points by kicking the field goal and moving on from that you have the other football soccer as most of the rest of the world calls it where uh, this one's a little bit more complicated in that you are not only trying to avoid the defenders, but it's a two-dimensional movement, right? So the other games that I was talking about, you are moving kind of just left and right, left and right, trying to avoid folks. And eventually you get to some point where you you try to, uh, in the case of hockey, you're, you're trying to make a shot on goal. In the case of football, uh, you're really just trying to get to the across the goal line and, and then kick the extra point. Uh, soccer has this weird sort of um, like you have to avoid defenders coming at you, but they can also come at you from behind as well. So you might have gotten past them and then they try to run to catch up to you. So it's it's a little bit more complicated there. And it also has a very, very odd game simulation part where it sort of does like a momentum swing where, oh, you scored a goal. Well, oh, guess what? Now the other team has scored a goal and it's a, you know, a, a dead even heat right now. And and it's the last, you know, few minutes of, of the full 90 to go with. But similar to, to the the hockey one, you also are trying to kick a uh, uh, a shot on goal. The other one, sort of like uh, football, for those of you out there, I'm not even sure exactly where all the countries is played in, but certainly the, the Kiwis in New Zealand will appreciate rugby, which is pretty much the uh, American football game, but with like a different skin. And the ball is slightly more oval and bigger. But other than that, it... it, it it plays the same. So these are these are uh, kind of interesting. I, I will say that the the one I prefer the most, even though my absolute favorite sport is uh, professional American football, is the mm-hmm. the hockey one because it, it feels <laughs> like a more feels like a more complete game where I'm in control of everything and uh, for whatever reason you can fight in that game uh, just like you know real <laughs> hockey fights happen. Except this one is more of like a tap to punch the other guy and finish him with a 
Street Fighter 2 Shenlong Shoryuken kind of like rising uppercut that uh, I don't know if I ever saw Mario Lemieux or Sidney Crosby do, so your mileage may vary there for the accuracy. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if, I don't know if fighting's been, been taken out of hockey. I haven't heard much about it lately. Have you been watching any hockey at all, Mark? Me? No. Yeah. I seem to think that's something that they've curtailed or gotten out of hockey for some reason. I'm not sure. Very strange. Anyway. Yeah, it's a foreign thing to me. I thought the entire point was the fights. Kind well, of they like usually, they NASCAR's say, point yeah. was the crashes. Yeah, usually the old joke is I went to the fights and a hockey game broke out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so a, a couple of months ago, I wanted to talk about uh, my, which is on the list, listed second here, which is a product that I was working on uh, for the current company I'm at. And it's a product, and it was talked about on CBC Spark Radio, which is a podcast that I follow uh, last week's episode called Disruption in Banking, Jaime's favorite word of all. So Disruption in Banking, Longview, and AI. So Spark is doing a series on um, money and banking and uh, bartering and all that kind of stuff and how things are changing. But in the middle of it, uh, a representative of TD Bank um, named Colleen Johnson was talking to her about a product that uh, we have called TD MySpend, which is... For the targeted towards the millennials or the younger younger people out there to sort of give them a sense of what they're doing and spending their money and what it does is it's an app that works with, in conjunction with our our banking app and the watch as well and uses notifications to inform you of your spending habits and it gives you a, it breaks down your type of spending down into utilities and groceries and you know entertainment and that kind of stuff and teach it sort of gives you a sense of how to budget your money. Um, but as you make a purchase, whether with your Apple Pay or uh, through your just uh, using a Visa card or using a debit card, it notifies you right away. You know where you are in the target in terms of whether you've spent more than you did typically or not. Right. So as you go through the, so I'm constantly getting notifications now on my watch telling me that, you know, I'm I'm either above or below the the median line as it creeps up towards the end of the month. So interesting product, um, an interesting way of of. Uh, sort of bringing people, getting people to be more aware of their spending habits when, as they get through a month and wonder where all that money went that they had at the beginning of the month or as they earned it. So interesting thing. And it's a good talk about, um, that whole episode is a good talk about money and there's a, a, a sidebar on gold and, and what, what money actually is and, and how it works and that kind of stuff. So one, for instance, interesting fact the guy said was a movie ticket 20 years ago would be like 1.5 1.3 grams of gold and today a movie ticket is still 1.3 grams of gold hey tim why don't you go on to realm that sounds really interesting it is really interesting aaron i'd love to talk about realm i would love to hear you talk about it all right fine so i heard about this today my f- friend uh marin todorov who now works for realm he's located in barcelona but he works for the folks down there in, in uh, i guess they're in san francisco i want to say risky frisky uh, all right. So anyway, he uh, he sort of let us know about this cool link on our Slack about this thing called the Realm mobile platform, and it's he said I asked him what, what what's what's the cool thing about it. And he said, well, the best thing for me personally is that it removes the need for a network layer in your app. It just you just work as you always did, local realm with a local realm database, and everything else just happens automatically. It detects connectivity, it uses the least traffic amount of traffic possible, and it solves conflicts. And there's literally zero lines of code you need to turn your app into a non-synced or non-synced app into a synced app. So it's basically built on the sort of all the technology that Realm's got, and it's just been released today or yesterday, I believe. It's a, a 
tool that we can use now to create. I mean, I've created an app in the past with Mark's help um, that you know syncs locally on the device and syncs with a server. Or sorry, stores locally on the device and syncs to a server. Uh, and then you know information can be retrieved or whatever. So if you delete the app and bring it back again, your 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 data comes back. So it's similar to how we want to do you know, in a perfect world with collaboration stuff like that. And there's a video that Aaron and I were discussing um, as we met each other on the Google Doc earlier today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I started typing something and he started messing with me. Got all anyway, up in your business. I, by the way, I was doing that on the iOS app. By the way, Adam, were you on your desktop or? Yeah, I was on my Mac. Okay, anyway, so uh, there's a video which kind of shows a collaboration between two people. I, th- I believe they're on iPads, and one's in Europe and one's in, in uh, North America, probably San Francisco. And they're actually drawing on, a, they're drawing, they're sketching out with an Apple Pencil on an iPad Pro, and they're drawing together a schematic of an app, let's say, or they're collaborating. And at one point in time, one of the people drops off the conversation, like he closes his wireless network and continues to draw while they both draw. And then when he came back, when he turns his network back on again, the data that was so it's stored locally on the devices, and then when the two are able to connect, it automatically starts bringing all the data together. And so the drawing actually starts, I guess, all the pen points and you know, vector, vectors and vertices and all that kind of stuff sync up. And the drawings on both devices across the globe update. So that's kind of a cool example of of a collaboration you could do in, in terms of uh, two people working in the same app, if you will. And that's using that's on top of this Realm mobile platform, which is super super awesome. One question I have about this, and I don't see it answered in the blog post that you're linking to right now, mm-hmm. nor in the video, is. Uh, my understanding that the cloud that is doing the syncing is actually resident in Realm. Um, that there's uh, this hidden component, non-open component, mm-hmm. which is acting as the the truth, I guess. Well, this is the, the Realm, I guess, the Realm object server they're calling it. Yes, the Realm object server. I'm pretty sure that remains a um, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, proprietary component and i'm i'm not sure about that i don't i don't understand that yet yeah i can probably find out about it for next week i'm sure we can there Um, is there is also a um there's a link at the bottom if you're like i would assume like in in the the case of an enterprise they may want to bring that piece in-house and there is a link at the bottom to uh find out how to do that in the enterprise with the enterprise edition so right so yeah the point here is that if you're they're a little fuzzy on this too. There's a cost associated with using this, right? Because yeah, again, it that. must be it must be based on the thing that's sitting on their servers, right? You cannot get the, a Realm server using this technology and host your own instance of it and point your your um, your client to it, right? Um, by default, it's pointing to something at Realm's data center. So there's a cost, right? Now, if you're um, a developer just or making a small app for yourself like as an indie then it's going to be free and it looks like it's always going to be free but they have an enterprise edition where they plan to make their money and right now like it's all in beta but uh you're basically sending a form to them uh where they can call you and find out how much money you have in order to tell you what it costs right um so that's the part that kind of is the eh, that one thing you know um yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it, it does seem truly seamless. Like if you watch the video, and it, uh, have you done any work with Realm, Tim? 
I haven't yet, no. It's super simple. Like, it really is. Like, you you create your own model objects, and of course, they have to be classes, not structs, uh, so if, if you're doing it in Swift, um, and you inherit from this realm object type. Um, but when you're writing to an, a, an object, it's uh, it's a very simple declaration. You go, like, basically, uh, realm.write, uh, open a brace for a block, and then do whatever property changes you're doing. And in the video, they're saying this is how this is how you um, you save to your remote instance of Realm, and it's the same code that you would write today if you were doing a local save of that data. There is literally no difference, zero difference. It's the same code. So Realm, um, like currently, without this mobile platform thing. So currently, if you have Realm in your app, you're writing as if as if you would. I'm just going to use core data because that's the only thing I know really. Uh, as if you're storing on the device locally, like it stores in a RAM instance locally in a device, or is it a server-based storage? Um, are you sorry, talking about now? Standard, or in, standard, the, yeah, plain Jane yes. realm, realm. Yeah. Plain Jane realm, it's an actual database that's running on your device, right? and so, you're saving to it. Um, right. So, yeah, and there is, no, there is no remote component unless you yourself are writing it. And that's, that's why Marin, your friend, is so excited, because this is the first time a, a developer could say, um, you know, I'm going to have a network layer to this application. But yeah. You're literally writing no code, zero code for your network layer. That, that I don't think has ever existed before. Well, it wasn't parse like that. Well, yeah, but parse. Um, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> that's actually something I wanted to bring up, um, because yeah. parse is, uh, it's, it's a product that doesn't exist anymore. But I think even in that instance, you I, I never used it, so that's why I don't really know. Yeah, I think there were limits, um, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you had to do something, right, to to have a layer that translated the stuff on the server uh, into what you were using locally. It seems like in every way that this is as seamless as anything I've ever seen. You know, I, I may not have the total picture, but that's that's the impression I have right now. It looks very similar to what Firebase is doing, and I, I can't remember how close Parse got to, to doing this. But it is kind of interesting that uh, everybody becomes Parse uh, at some point, right? Firebase started out as a as a simple database, then became the seamless uh, live syncing, and then expanded so much more. And you can sort of see Realm probably doing the same, right? So they have their their seamless syncing, and then if you're Paying for the enterprise pricing, if I saw it correctly, you can do the uh, the cloud code equivalent that Parse had, where you can run certain triggers uh, server side for additional things that have, need to happen. And for that matter, CloudKit is is pretty similar as well. Yeah, yeah, I think everybody's sort of getting to that. Like, man, I don't even yeah. want to think about it. Just just do it for me. I just just sync it. Yeah, yeah. log yeah. shipping was solved tons of you know times and and many many times ago. Uh, you know, in the RDMS or RDBMS world, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the standard page here where they talk about the features of the uh, the you know basically supports Android, iOS, Xamarin, and React Native. Um, this one, data browser is a client server. It includes AS two thirty five at rest uh, encryption as well as SSL TSL TLS in flight, which is cool. Um, yeah. Offline first functionality, so it's kind of like you know the 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 whole uh, whether you're online or offline kind of logic or or tooling. You don't have to worry about that as well. And real two way real time synchronization, as well as an authentication layer, which is cool. 
the most yeah. interesting thing to me actually is that it, it works with both iOS and Android. Yeah. And if it does that seamlessly, you can you can now have a shared database, remote database, mm-hmm. without doing any extra work, which you can't do with something like CloudKit. You couldn't do. It. I don't think you could do it with Parse. Parse had uh, Android and I want to say web stuff towards uh, yeah, the PHP. end there. They had, they had oh, part, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. but they didn't have uh, – well, React Native was nary a glimmer in uh, Facebook's eye, I think, at the point. Uh, I don't remember if they had Xamarin support there, but um, yeah, I think well, a lot of Xamarin these... is iOS, right? It's just a, it's a, a C-sharp or, yeah. or whatever layer on top of it, isn't it? Yes, uh, that, C-sharp, I believe, yeah. Yeah. Right, but it, but it, I guess what they mean here for their support is that you don't have to drop out of your, what you're already, you know, a comfortable and, and accustomed to to writing. Right, they don't like, oh, here I've got my Xamarin app. Oh, well, here's this weirdo Objective C side. Right, they can right, just continue right. to write it in, uh, what C sharp? Actually, don't know what what Xamarin's. Uh, it is C sharp. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. And I'm also looking at their. Um, I've never seen this image before, but it totally makes sense. So they have the, the real-time sync, and they show the little Swift logo. They show the Android logo. And then what I assume is Objective-C, because it's a C surrounded by a left bracket and a right bracket. <laughs> Where are you seeing that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right in the middle uh, of that little graph. About mid down, midway down the page, right below the video, there's a graphic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. See now we need to ask Farley. Could he he would know what the original logo for? Oh, that, yeah, it has to be objective C because it's the it's the brackets, right? The, yeah, like it, it makes sense when I see brackets. it, but I'm like, oh, I've yeah. never I've never seen that in any official capacity. No, Apple does no, have a logo either. for Objective C, and it does yeah. not look like that. No, as oh really? Say, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, it's basically a C in a box with Objective written above it. Um, mm. Basic looking. Uh, but yeah. this is interesting, and uh, I, I, I would like to play with this a little bit, see uh, how it works, and come yeah. up with a little test app. Sure. Magpie 2. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess that's it for the week. So, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Twitter.com slash Aaron Vey. And Jaime, where would people look? Also on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Mark, if people want to get a hold of you? Mark R at smatsoft.com. All right. As usual, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and that's the best way to get hold of me. And I guess we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items to be talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you could, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that Recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help spreading the word. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Java. Sorry, Java.
Java. What, what are we Java. saying? What are we supposed to say? I don't know. It's, it's Java. 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 I think we say Java. So I shouldn't say Java. Not Java. Not you say Java. whatever you want. Java. Java. <laughs> Java. But to me, Java is right. Okay. Java, okay. Yeah, in this list, actually, uh, in Tyobi. Well, Jaime's got somebody mowing the lawn or flying a plane behind him right now, so... Yeah, I was wondering if that was a drone or something. <laughs> I don't know who's doing that. It is just about sundown here, and it's not too bad. It's, what, 62, 63 degrees, but yeah. uh, the grass is not really growing much anymore this time of year. Yeah, do you own a slingshot or a shotgun? <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll be more diligent beforehand putting some rocks around the neighborhood and, and let that solve the case sure sure. unfortunately I, I missed a lot of what you said there Jaime but uh, I'm sure it was super smart um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the drift has been right really out. bad on, on that so hopefully it works out okay yeah. And, well, the part you missed, though, Aaron, was the guy stopped mowing his lawn for a little while, a few minutes, and I thought, oh, good, he's not going to mow his lawn, and then he kicked back on again. So, Ah, well, hey. <laughs> okay. What um, are you going to do? Nothing. Nothing at all. So you, that's where the you know gold standard comes into it. Anywho, um, my second pick is uh, something whoa, that... Whoa, 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 whoa. So, yeah, that's, that's not really... True. Okay, they'll cut that out. Okay, just, just, <laughs> wait, hold on. Well, okay. wait, where, where though? Because Mark, you're you're talking from an American standpoint. I don't. Well, I don't okay, know what's yeah, going yeah. On in Canada. Okay. Like is Canada on the gold, gold doubloons or something? Well, okay. The point was about anyway, the cost of a ticket is not has not changed in terms of the amount of gold it, it's valued at. Whereas money is getting it's getting more expensive as as like printed money and that kind of stuff. It takes more of those monies to buy things than than it would have in the past. <laughs> Inflation. Listen right? to the episode. Okay. Actually, no, that's we're, not, we're, we're, yeah. we're we're taking issue just because there's a, a cultural divide here. So we're we're, we're asking for for, him for more information about How's the uh, the gold standard comment, which has not been the case in the United States. States oh really? For a very long time. Oh right, right, yeah, and very controversial. Well, it was so enlighten me. So, so the the U.S. used to be on the gold standard, and then uh, I think it was Nixon, maybe, who took us off the gold oh, standard. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, and so now we have we don't have any kind of real basis for U.S. money. It's it's just worth whatever the Fed decides it's worth. Oh really? Hmm. Yeah, and and some people say that this is a good thing uh, because it gives the Fed huge amounts of flexibility uh, and so they can they can tighten the, the money supply or using the money supply to control inflation, uh, tighten it if they want to control inflation or, or loosen it if they want to stimulate the economy. Uh, but uh, other people say it's a really bad thing because, uh, because inflation becomes inevitable and there's lots of arguments that I don't necessarily mm. believe that, that say that. <laughs> and Eric- this is why there's things like uh, like Bitcoin, which are alternative uh, currencies to to that are that are that have a restricted supply. So when you when you have a restricted supply of money, the it, you, you can't have inflation, right? So right. there's only a, a fixed amount of gold in the world. Sort of. I mean, yeah, it was, more. yeah, it's very rare. And as the guy says, yeah. it's a very rare uh, element and. He said, like, you know, for instance, you could put, like, $200,000 worth of gold on a – on would cover a standard table, like a, you know, five-by-three table, whereas the same amount of silver might take up the entire building kind of thing or the entire floor of the building in terms of its size. But anyway, just – yeah, I, I always thought that money was based on the amount of gold that, that, no, that you had in your reserves, as it were. 
Yeah, it used to be that way, and for a while there was a silver standard too. Uh, but uh, but at least in the U.S., it's it's definitely no longer the case. So, Aaron, do you know if that's the case in Canada? Or I do know because oh. I just looked it up. The uh, Canadian dollar is not backed by gold, and it has been that way since 1933. So it's the same. Mm. Canada was way ahead of the game. Well, my point though. Well, in, did in they just was... back it with something else though? So it says it's not gold or silver, is it? Is, is it backed by the strategic maple syrup reserves? <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that you know one out if you want. I, I, I really, I really no, hope it no, is. I, can, I, I really hope it is. <laughs> or, or maybe it's or maybe it's, it's in the amount of softwood lumber we have up here. <laughs> it just comes to my mind because I saw some article about like this huge hijacking that was like from the strategic reserves, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. I'll see if I can find it. It was fairly recent. Alrighty yeah. then. It's the term that we use is a fiat currency. Fiat, right, right. right so yeah, the current yeah. the value of the currency is determined by fiat, right? Um it's resting on the confidence that the citizenry of the country places in it. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like money itself, it's an invention. And like the the gods of old, it only exists because people believe in it. That said, listen. Like I said, he does talk about what, what money. May, he may not have said gold standard in there, but I just just slip of the tongue. I apologize to all the people in the world who believe in gold. All right, <laughs> moving on. Well, so not a, not a recent heist, but I guess it must have shown up on like BuzzFeed or something. It looks like it happened in August of 2012. Still, it's an important loss of Canadian revenue, right, and resources. Anywho, um, so I have. A couple of pictures. Sorry, let me inter- yeah, just interject one thing. Too. Even though I haven't been watching any hockey, I, I, I have been watching baseball, and I'll point out that uh, the Red Sox uh, clinched the AL East tonight. Oh, oh, they're killing it. You mean? Yeah. So they 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 have won the AL East pennant. Really? So where does that leave the Blue so, Jays? Second. Uh, well, the Blue Jays are in, in, in the wild card. Uh, yes, they're the, the wild card right now. Oh, the wild card. Okay, is that good? Mm-hmm. It's fine. Not as good as not as good as winning the A least, <laughs> but it's not bad. <laughs> right. Is that, I feel your that's pain twelve in a row they've won, huh? No, they lost to the Yankees yesterday. Oh, did so they? So they won 11, 11 in a row, and then they lost yesterday. Then they beat the Yankees again today. The Jays right. just lost in the ninth inning tonight to the Orioles. Mm. It was mm. a very painful uh, loss that happened in the very last minutes of the game. Would that have made a difference? Yeah, uh, well, it would have solidified our position as the wild card leader, and now we're one game ahead of, of Baltimore for the wild card. What does the wild card do? Sort of give you it a pass us, into the a, first round, or it's the first round of the playoffs? Gets you in there, or gets you no, past? No, it's yeah. So gets so you into it. Normally, typically, the, the the winner of all the the, the uh, divisions goes to the playoffs, but they give two extra teams per league the chance to also get in, even though they didn't win a division. So, what is it? Four divisions so, altogether, or three? There's four in each league. Uh, three, in each league. three divisions yeah. in each league. Oh, right. And then they yeah. need a wild card to make four. Okay, right, right. Cool. Alrighty. So uh, well, it's actually uh, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's two wild cards, so and they they have a playoff. But anyway, proceed. Yeah, don't get too far into the baseballs <laughs> or the sports right. balls. You got enough sports balls. Oh, this is going. This is going into the right. into the no. after show. Okay, fine. Anywho, okay. So a, a couple of months ago, I wanted. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.